Hey guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. It is Friday, June 24th here in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I hope you had a good week. Uh, relatively speaking, uh, from a safety standpoint, you know, I hope your people are doing well and, and, uh, we're moving forward. I had a pretty good week. Uh, Cam, my producer, I say that like, actually I have a producer, Cam, my producer, we're talking a moment ago about the week and I had a pretty good week. Um, I worked at the zoo on Monday. Uh, the Henry Dorley zoo here in Omaha is fantastic as all of you know, um, or should know. And I do occasional projects for them periodically, and they called me, asked me if I would come down and help them with something. And so I was down there on Monday. Uh, that was great. Love the zoo. I, I have not been through the entire zoo in quite a long time, but having gotten just a glimpse of a few of the new exhibits, something that we're going to do, man. So, uh, Cam, I would highly recommend it. I know you were mentioning you hadn't been there for a while. Go hit the zoo. It's, it, it really looks fantastic. Tuesday, I was at a usual client facility uh, doing some regular monthly work. Had a good day on Tuesday. Wednesday, my wife and I went down to the College World Series, and so you mentioned that as well. So I am not a huge fan of crowds. I'm not a huge fan. I live in Gretna, for God's sake. So getting to the College World Series literally is an hour-long excursion on, on Interstate 80, and Interstate 80 is so bad now. The traffic is just so bad that, but we went down there and it's, you know, if you live in Omaha, this is one of our events. This is something that you feel like you should support. So we went down there and had a nice time. Um, as I mentioned to Cam, everywhere you go, you see hazards. And now that you're a safety disciple, man, you're experiencing this. When you, everywhere you go, you see things that look hazardous or dangerous. And, you know, we're down there at the College World Series, and it's hot here in Omaha right now, humid, sun was shining, and I'm looking at all those people out in the outfield where there's no cover, there's no shade, and I'm just like waiting for them to drop, you know. And uh, I get up and make my circle, and I get my cold drink for 12 bucks, and I get my hot dog for 16 bucks, And uh, there are people just littered all over the floor, and first aid responders attending to them, and, you know, they're all just liquored up and dehydrated, you know, so it's, it's brutal. That's, it's almost not worth it for me to go, but we had a nice time. And anyway, so, um, my guest for today, um, unfortunately canceled. My guest called me earlier in the week and said, Hey Doug, man, I am really sorry. We, we had planned to do an episode now for quite a long time. He'd been on the calendar and he's like, I have an opportunity to go to Europe and speak at a conference. And I was like, huh, Omaha, what's the hazard, Europe, conf- okay, man, I get it, so um, we'll reschedule them, um, but it's just me today, and so Cam suggested, bring some show and tell, man, the show and tell stuff is really cool, and I think since we're doing the YouTube option now, it's interesting to be able to look at some of the stuff, I know most of you just listen, uh, but occasionally people are heading the YouTube channel, which we appreciate, and uh, I don't have anything for show and tell either, man, so I don't know. I was panicked. 
You know, I spent all day yesterday with my mother going to doctor's appointments and things. I have an 85-year-old mother, and so um, I accompany her to some of these appointments so we can translate what the doctors are saying into 85-year-old gibberish or whatever, you know. And I, I didn't mean that, Mom. My mom might be watching. So um, I, didn't, I don't have a show-and-tell prepared, but I do have... A Q&A prepared. I get a lot of questions, okay? Many of you are probably sending me questions or asking questions. Um, you know, the, the podcast goes out on LinkedIn, and so a number of people who listen to the podcast <clears throat> have submitted questions, which I sincerely appreciate. And so I just thought we'd pick two or three questions, depending on time, and go through those questions, talk a little bit about it, and uh, see where that takes us. So I appreciate the questions. You are always welcome to submit them on LinkedIn or to my uh, email, on the website, whatever you prefer to do. I think you can even make comments at the bottom of YouTube channels, if that's if I'm not mistaken. Cam's nodding. Cam is now our new YouTube guy, so that's 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 something we can do. But <clears throat> I appreciate the questions. So I've got three. We'll see if we can get to all three of them. The first one is uh, an interesting question, and actually they're all interesting, but this one has to do with OSHA's general duty clause, okay? What's the difference between a 5A1 citation and a 5A2 citation as far as OSHA's burden of proof? Okay, that was the question. So um, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, 1970, the OSHA Act of 1970, is broken into parts, and sections, and section five refers to the employer duties. And so I'm just going to read from it. It's very brief. Each employer, this is section five, paragraph A, subparagraph one, 5A1. Each employer shall furnish to each of his employees employment and a place of employment which are free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm to his employees. That's 5A1. Provide a workplace free from recognized hazards that could cause death or other serious physical harm. Okay? 5A2. Each employer shall comply with the occupational safety and health standards promulgated under this act. So, depending on what industry you're in, you might be referring to the 29 CFR 1910 regulations. You might be referring to the 1926 regulations for construction. So we've got 1910 general industry, 1926 construction. There are maritime standards. There are agricultural standards. There are, you know, there are some other standards pr- promulgated under the act. But the two that we typically deal with are general industry and construction. So the difference here is... A 5A2 citation from OSHA is essentially referring to something in the book. It's a regulation like lockout, tagout, or confined space entry, fall protection, something like that. It's referring to something that is documented as a regulation in, in one of the codes of federal regulations. Very straightforward. OSHA's burden there is referred to as prima facie. Um, elements must be met in order to to provide a legally sufficient citation for something in the book. That means there must be a hazard present in the work environment. It must be addressed by a regulation in that Code of Federal Regulations. There must be employee exposure to this hazard, meaning employees interact with or have the potential, potential to interact with or be exposed to this hazard. And then There must be employer knowledge. The employer must have known that that hazard existed 
or had they been reasonably diligent in their inspections, should have known that that hazard was present. Okay, so four elements. We got a hazard, we got a regulation, we have employee exposure, and we have employer knowledge. And that is OSHA's burden to establish those elements. If they can establish those four elements through their investigation, they can issue a citation for that particular violation. Okay, so let's talk about those things a little bit. What is employee exposure or reasonably foreseeable exposure? We've got a hazard in the work environment. Employees interact with it. So this might be a machine guarding issue. This might be an electrical hazard, something like that, that the employees have contact with or could conceivably have contact with through the course of their normal daily work activities. Unguarded machinery, something like that. What we're not talking about uh, what is not considered employee's exposure is, I, you know, on the ceiling of my building, I've got some exposed wiring 30 feet in the air, but no employees will ever interact or be in proximity to that. They're not up there on lifts. There's no work platforms, things like that. So exposure uh, really means that the employees are in close proximity or through the course of their daily or foreseeable activities would be close to that that hazard. Employer knowledge is really critical because... You know, if an employer is being reasonably diligent, they're walking through their facilities or walking their job sites periodically as they're expected to do. And if they're paying attention, they should notice these things. If these, if the hazard is so um, latent, so hidden that it's not reasonable that the employer could have seen it, it's really difficult to establish employer knowledge and issue a citation. And so, those four elements are critical. Now, when we talk about five A one. We're saying that there is no regulation in that book that addresses this hazard. No regulation exists. Um, doesn't mean OSHA didn't want one, but there currently is no regulation that they can refer to and say you have violated this particular reference. Okay? So what we are saying is that there is a hazard in the work environment, a recognized hazard. Okay, we know this to be hazardous that could potentially cause death or serious physical harm, all right? Um, those elements are different. I'm going to read, there are four elements here as well, and I'm going to just give you some information on these. The employer failed to keep the workplace free from a hazard to which its employees are exposed. So we've got a hazard out in our work environment, and our employees are exposed to this hazard, okay? Things that are commonly cited 5A1 might be heat, you know, OSHA has a heat emphasis right now. There is no regulation for heat. So if they identify a hazard where employees are exposed and these other elements are met, they would issue the citation under this 5A1 general duty requirement. Heat is one. Ergonomic issues are one. COVID-19. COVID-19 citations were issued as general duty citations. Okay. Uh, the second element. The hazard was recognized by the employer or, again, should have been recognized by the employer had they been reasonably diligent in their efforts to identify hazards. Um, if we don't have a regulation, what is a recognized hazard? That could, that could be something that has caused injury or illness beforehand that maybe within your industry people recognize as a hazard. There are other ways that we know something is hazardous without having to refer to this book of regulations. Number three is causing or is likely to cause death or serious physical harm. You know, again, we're not talking about paper cuts. 
We're not talking about minor injuries. We're talking about a hazard that could cause a serious injury or death. All right. And then finally, the fourth element, which is slightly different, there was a feasible um, and reasonable, useful method to correct this hazard. Okay, so OSHA's burden here under these circumstances is to provide us with reasonable options for correcting. They don't have to give us all the options. They don't have to provide the option that we choose. But they have to be able to say, okay, you know, heat is an issue. We know that heat exposure is a recognized hazard. And there are a number of things that you can do to minimize or eliminate this hazard in your work environment. You can alternate, alter your shifts so the employees start earlier and, and adjourn their day earlier. You can provide water, rest, shade, more frequent breaks. You can give them an opportunity to get out of direct sunlight into the shade, all those different things. What you choose to do is then up to you, but OSHA has to be able to offer some type of useful mitigation strategy. So what is a 5A1 not? Okay, it's not a failure to implement specific precautions or specific corrective measures. They can't cite you because you didn't give them Gatorade, okay? Gatorade's an option for staying hydrated, but OSHA doesn't cite you for not, for not following a particular corrective measure. They cite you because that hazard exists in your work environment. Um, it must be reasonably foreseeable, you know, and... So there are certainly situations in our work environments that a hazard is not reasonably foreseeable, okay? Um, and uh, as, as new technologies come to exist in work environments, there are probably going to be new hazards that we're not even aware of that we couldn't predict. And they can't cite you simply because you had the injury or an injury related to this hazard. The injury is not what drives the citation. It's the existence of the hazard and these other elements, okay? So... Basically, the difference is in a 5A2 situation, I'm referring to a regulation. I have to meet those prima facie elements. In a 5A1 violation or citation, uh, there is the presence of a hazard for which there is no regulation, and I have to meet these elements, including a useful strategy to mitigate that hazard in order to make the citation, okay? That's a long-winded answer. I'm going to take a breath. Um, take a drink of my coffee. But that's a great question. And I think on occasion, 5A1 citations are issued, you know, without without that uh, support, without the correct elements being met. Okay? That was a good question. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> second question, employee misconduct. What is employee misconduct? I hear this term used. I hear this phrase used as it might be a defense. I can get out of a citation. What, is, what does it mean when we're talking about employee misconduct? And so here's, here is the specific question that was sent. OSHA cited my company because an employee was found not wearing certain personal protective equipment, PPE. OSHA observed somebody not wearing PPE. There is no dispute the employee was not wearing the PPE or whether the PPE was required but the employee was violating our strict PPE policy. Do we have any defense? And, you know, the answer to that is interesting because it could be a couple of things. It could be employer knowledge, like we were just referring to a minute ago. If the employer was unaware that the employee was not using the PPE, 
Okay, there must be employer knowledge. Uh, so if the, had, the employer had no knowledge of such condition, like it's an isolated incident or unavoidable, this employee on, in this instance just chose not to wear his or, or forgot, and it happened to be that the OSHA compliance officer was present, you might be able to make an argument that there was no employer knowledge. For example, um, what is reasonable care? I mean, I'm an employer. I go out and I walk my workplace every day. Every morning before start of shift or every morning as we do our huddle on the construction site, we walk that site and we look for potential hazards. And then um, middle of the morning, I've got, an, I've got OSHA on site, unfortunately. I've got an employee who walks onto the job and starts working without PPE. Is there employer knowledge there? I mean, I did my due diligence, man. I walk my site regularly every day. When I see something, we address it that at that moment okay but now i've done my walk for the day i go back to my office or i go back and address some other issue whatever that might be osha comes on site and they happen to see this employee over there working without ppe so knowledge would be a hard thing to establish as an employer i feel like i'm doing my due diligence i'm being reasonable i'm looking i'm surveilling my workplace i don't find anything and then osha sees this employee not wearing ppe might be an employer knowledge issue. It might also be what is referred to as an affirmative defense of employee misconduct, okay? An affirmative defense is something that I, as the employer, have to establish, you know, to OSHA's satisfaction, you know, that I have done my due diligence and there was nothing that I could have done about this. And in order to make an argument for employer employee misconduct, I have to establish some things once again, and this re- you know requires documentation. There has to be a work policy or procedure in place that addresses this issue. Okay, so I've got a PPE policy. All right, um, I have to have communicated this expectation, this requirement to the employee, so that they understood it. Okay, it has to be in a language they understand. It has to be at a level they can understand. But I have to be able to demonstrate that I have communicated these expectations to the employee. Okay, I've got a policy, I've communicated it. I have to periodically observe the employees, surveil my workplace to ensure that these policies are being followed. All right, and I do that. Every morning, I walk my site, I'm looking for hazards. I might go through the job site two, three, four times a day and keep an eye on the, I mean, obviously, I got a lot of work to do, man. I'm, I'm a big shot, I got a lot of work to do. I'm doing a lot of things, but if I see employees that aren't, Following the policies, I say something. And the fourth element there that I have to show OSHA is that when I do identify employees deviating from these policies, that we're doing something to correct it. I have some type of a discipline program or a structured corrective action system so that I don't just walk by and say, hey, man, put on your safety glasses. Or, hey, man, don't forget your hearing protection. We need to do something in response to that. So, and, again, that's something that requires documentation. If you, are, if you have a discipline program in place, some kind of progressive discipline, and you are implementing that system, you need to be able to show OSHA, okay, on this occasion, I observed some, you know, another employee perhaps uh, not wearing his safety glasses or not wearing the appropriate PPE. Or, you know, it could be anything. I observed that a machine guard had been removed, and I disciplined the employee for doing that. Whatever the case might be, but you have to be able to show those elements. I've got a policy in place. 
It's been communicated to the employees, and I can show that through documentation. I surveil my workplace periodically with a reasonable frequency, and when I see something wrong or I see a deviation from the policy, we address it through some kind of discipline program. If you can show those elements, then that is an affirmative defense, and you might be able to insulate yourself from a citation, okay? But in my experience, many employers don't have all of that well-documented, and it's difficult to establish that you've done all those things. It's difficult to say it's employee misconduct. You know, if this guy's been not wearing his safety glasses or not wearing a face shield when he's been grinding for two weeks in a row, you know, your surveillance and your discipline probably isn't effective, and OSHA's not going to buy that argument, okay? So just make sure that those four elements are in place. You can make the affirmative defense. You can always try. You know, one of the things a compliance officer is going to do during their investigation is try to defeat that affirmative defense. They're going to try to establish through their investigation that you're not doing those things. Okay? So that's part of their um, development and establishment of a citation as well. Okay? So uh, interesting question. A couple of different options. Employer knowledge, if you're doing your due diligence, or unavoidable employee misconduct, those are defenses that you can make. All right. Okay. I'm exhausted. I <laughs> can. Um, number three, and this one comes up a lot. And this one, number three, the last one I'm going to comment on has to do with eyewashes. Okay. The regulation is 1910-151 in general industry. I'm not even sure what it is in construction, but somebody, somebody can find that for me. 1910-151. And we're talking about, you know, uh, eyewashes, 1910-151C where employees are exposed or potentially exposed to injurious, corrosive chemicals, an eyewash has to be, a suitable eyewash has to be available for immediate use, okay? It's kind of a performance-based standard. It just tells you you have to make this available. It doesn't tell you the specifics of the eyewash or the specifics of suitable or the specifics of immediately available for use. It doesn't tell you that. We can refer to an ANSI standard that is just a guideline, and it gives us information about what that means, and OSHA typically refers to that ANSI standard. I think it's 358, maybe. Um, So OSHA might reference that standard, but the regulation says specifically just that. Where there is potential exposure to injurious corrosive chemicals, make sure that an eyewash, a suitable eyewash, is available, or drenching, a deluge, maybe a shower, is available for immediate employee use. And so I got a question about, well, look, man, we just, we're a warehouse. We just handle packaged corrosives, okay? They come in in boxes. They're in containers and boxes. We ship them out in containers and boxes. Do we have to have an eye wash? And that is a really interesting question. Um, I've, I've done, I've been involved in a few issues where, employers use uh, custodial chemical systems that are enclosed as well. The custodial chemicals come in sealed containers. It's a, it's a concentrated chemical. And the sealed container fits into this distribution system. So you take a sealed container and you insert it into this um, dilution distribution system that you might have in a custodial closet or something. It's not like the old days where you take gallon jugs and you dump them into a bucket and you mix them together and the shit's splashing in your face, which used to be the case. 
uh, back in the old slop sinks in the custodial closets. Now these brand new systems, you just put these chemicals in there, um, concentrated chemicals, you connect it to a water source, and then it, it dilutes it at a certain concentration. It does all that for you. But is there a potential exposure to an employee there? In my opinion, there is. Even though you've got a sealed container and you are um, using a diluted product, at the end of all of this, you know, it, you pick this chemical and you turn the water on and it dispenses a certain amount of concentrate and it mixes to a certain dilution and now I've got a bucket of harmless diluted solution. The fact that you are handling those concentrated containers concerns me a little bit and in my opinion under those circumstances if there is a potential for exposure to that concentrate that is corrosive then you would need a suitable eyewash present. Um, if you are just basically a shipping facility where you're, you're bringing in sealed boxes and you are sending out sealed boxes and there is no reasonably foreseeable exposure to your employees, if you've done that hazard assessment, then you probably don't need an eye wash, okay? Um, I would want to know a few things, though. I would want to know, do we have any record of, like, leaking chemical containers, damaged containers? Have we ever punctured or ruptured a container with the forks of our forklift or something when we're handling it. I mean, is it reasonably foreseeable or is it not not going to happen? Um, and again, based on that assessment, okay, maybe we need to have that eye wash, uh, either a plumbed eye wash that's plumbed in into our building water supply or one of those self-contained eye washes that you mount on the wall and you fill it up with water and you fill it up with, you know, microbiocidal Biocide, microbiocide, a chemical that keeps shit from growing in the water um, that you can use and it gives you the appropriate amount of water and appropriate flow rate, those kind of things. So it is based on that assessment. But my gut instinct is that if you're using one of those dispensers, you probably should have an eye wash present. And if you're just drop shipping a bunch of chemicals that never come out of the boxes, we don't unpack them, we certainly don't use them, well, then maybe the likelihood that you need an eye wash is less, okay? So um, it's a good question. It only applies to corrosives. OSHA's letters of interpretation are pretty straightforward. These kind of, you know, the eye wash requirement only pertains to corrosive chemicals, chemicals that can damage your eye tissues rather than irritants typically. And so you can find all that stuff on the safety data sheet or on the labels from the, you know, the chemical containers or the packaging and things like that. So um, one of the things I would ask the warehouse people might be, look, man, you're obviously running forklifts. Are you doing any kind of service to the batteries on the forklifts? I mean, that's a potential exposure as well. If you have to add water or you're checking the cells, I think most of them now, the, the batteries just hook up to a water system. You don't open the cells any longer. I, we've come a long way since the old days where we used to actually add you know, water or acid to these batteries. So those exposures are much less. But as part of your assessment, I would want to know, is there a potential exposure based on our forklift capabilities or the forklift service that we're doing? So... Those are the questions that I would ask if I'm trying to determine under those circumstances whether I need an eye wash. But if you are handling corrosive chemicals in any fashion, you definitely need PPE and an eye wash. And keep in mind, an eye wash is reactive. I've got stuff in my eyes. If I'm going to the eye wash, you know, 
that ship has sailed. There is stuff in my eyes, and I need to get into that stream of water. So that doesn't eliminate the need to have PPE, whether that be goggles or safety glasses and a face shield or whatever, or even follow the hierarchy of control and try to eliminate that corrosive chemical in the first place, okay? Um, I think that's it. Those are three questions. I appreciate the questions. Hopefully those answers are reasonable and you can figure out something from that discussion. Other than that, um, I'm leaving in a little while to go to a wedding down in Kansas City, so I'm going to be out of touch for about, I don't know, 24 hours or something. So I don't know. I hope you had a great week. I hope you have a good weekend. I hope you keep fighting the good fight. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep sending the questions. We love the questions. And we will have some show and tell for you next time. So until then, thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Later. A Huda Media Production.